the reading of scripture this morning. There should be a black pew Bible on the pew back in front of you. If you will turn me to page 12 in the black pew Bible, in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. Again, that's Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, page 12. After, this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram and Abishman. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your every for your very own son shall be there. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. That we did, my family did. We had a great time uh, together, just getting together. Our, our pastor is, is out of town. Uh, Shane and his family is out of town. They're on the, they should be on their way back today. Um, but so they are gone. So that is why I am up here. Um, so, uh, we hope that they remain safe. If you guys are listening, if you guys are watching, we love you. We're thankful for you. We're excited for you to be back. We'll be back with you. Um, but. Uh, I've heard this said before. I, I can't remember who said it, but I thought it was perfect. So uh, somebody was filling in for someone else preaching in the pulpit, and they said, I cannot promise you that it will be a better sermon. I cannot promise you that it will be a more eloquent sermon. I cannot promise you that it will be uh, more accurate. But I can promise you that it will be a shorter sermon. <laughs> and I think I can fulfill that promise. We're talking about fulfilled promises this morning. I think that's all that I can fulfill to you. Before I forget, we'll dismiss the kids second grade and under to Children's Church. switch for whatever reason, that's, a, that's something that uh, it's not easy to do, so we're thankful for those that do that. Um, uh, but if you would, uh, we're just going to pray here and then we'll get started and we'll jump into the, the text and the intro and everything, but uh, let's just pray together this morning before we get started. Father, thank you so much for everyone that is here. Thank you for providentially bringing them. They are not here by accident, and we recognize that, and we're thankful for that, Lord. And I am so thankful that you have given me this opportunity, Lord, um, that you allowed me to do this, to, 
stand in the pulpit as a preacher at work, Father. What a great honor that is, and that is not something that I take lightly. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity that you've given me, Father. Lord, I pray that the, the rest of our service, as it already has, Lord, that it was just glorifying, glorifying to you, Father. Uh, I pray that everything that I say would glorify you, that it would lift your name higher, that everything would point towards you, Father, and that it would not be any, about anything about me, that it would not be about anything that I say, that I would not be elevated in any way, Father, but that only you would be glorified. Or that you would just speak through me, Father, that it would be all from you, and that it would be nothing from me. And that even today, Father, that the lost would be saved and would come to know you. It's in your name that we pray, Father. Amen. Alright, so it is Advent season. Um, just, uh, we just got that of Thanksgiving, right? And what happens after Thanksgiving? Uh, what do you put up in your houses after Thanksgiving? You put up Christmas trees, right? And so that means it's Advent season. And if you're like me, uh, you might have wondered what that meant before. I always kind of wondered, what is Advent? I've something I've always heard around Christmas at church. What does that really mean? Well, Advent means arrival. The word Advent it originates from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And, and so... Uh, the English Dictionary defines Advent as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And so, this season, this Advent season, what we're doing is we're celebrating the arrival that occurred 2,000 years ago of the Savior of the world. That is what Advent season is. And that's what we're celebrating here. The Savior of the world. We celebrate the incarnation when God uh, arrived on earth in bodily form. He took on flesh. The doctrine of the Incarnation, uh, it speaks to a very specific time in human history. Our faith, the Christian faith, is, is, is a historic faith. It is not Greek mythology. It is not something that is made up. It is not something that is man-made. Uh, it is not just otherworldly beliefs about things that we can't understand or we can't comprehend. No, our faith is a, a faith that is grounded in reality. Our faith is a faith that is grounded in history. And so what we're doing is we're celebrating that history. Celebrating the arrival, the incarnation. The heart of our faith is grounded in what has happened in history. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the second coming. And without these things, there is no Christian faith. So when we come to Advent season, Christmas season, we talk about the incarnation, the first coming of Christ. Essentially what we're doing is we're getting back to basics. Without the first coming of Christ, we would not have seen the person of Jesus come to earth and perfectly fulfill the law. We would not be able to read in the New Testament about all His teaching and expounding upon the law. Without the first coming of Christ, He, uh, he could not die on a cross and pay for the sins of man. And lastly, without the first coming of Christ, there would be no second coming of Christ. The doctrine of the Incarnation is essential to our faith. It is a pillar of Christianity. And so we'll be studying the, the texts over the next few weeks that are historical events. They're real true things. Not tall tales, not entertaining stories, but true events out of the Bible. We look to the past. We look to the Old Testament to see where it foretells of Jesus' arrival. Foretelling of the arrival of the God of the universe who will be born in a manger in Bethlehem to a virgin who is engaged to be married. Uh, the question has often been asked, if you could witness anything in the Bible... Any event, what would it be? You've heard that question before. I'm sure somebody's asked you before, right? Uh, me and my dad were actually just talking about this the other day. Uh, but that's a question that is common, right? Well, there's a lot of things that you might want to see. 
You might want to see the Red Sea be parted and walk through on dry land. You might want to witness Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. You might want to see the paralyzed man jump up, spring up, and walk. You might want to see Jesus walk on water. You might want to see the 5,000 fed. There's a, a lot of events that you could say. I remember years ago, Pastor Shane and I were talking about this, and I remember his, his answer. I told him what I would want to witness, and he said that he would want to witness Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Remember in Luke 23, after Jesus was resurrected, there was two disciples who were walking to Emmaus, discussing all that had gone on, all of Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus came up to them and asked what they were talking about, and they didn't, they didn't recognize Jesus. And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem who does not know what has happened? And this is funny to us, because Jesus is who they were talking about, Right? This is funny, but uh, Jesus revealed himself to them, and then on the road to Emmaus, Jesus explained to the men the two sorry, explained to the two men the ways in which the Old Testament pointed to him. So that's kind of what we're trying to do here. We're going to the Old Testament to look and find Jesus, to see what uh, foretells of the coming Christ. And I just remember Pastor Shane saying, like, man, that is what I would want to hear. Just Jesus explaining Himself in the Old Testament Scriptures. So that's what we're trying to do this Advent season. Look and see where Christ is in the Old Testament. See what foretells the coming Savior so that we might know Him more. The first event is found in Genesis 12, and that's where we are this morning. It'll be Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Jake wrote Genesis 15. That's a, it's not a retelling, but it's a, 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 it is a ratifying of the covenant. Today, uh, the promises are listed from God to Abram. Right? But in 15, that's when that covenant is actually made, uh, made official. So, let's quickly or just run through the quick history of the Old Testament to get to Genesis 12. There's only 11 chapters before this, so it shouldn't take that long. Uh, but parents, if you have youth, they're going to know this pretty well. They're going to know this story because it's the story of the Bible. And this is what we've done for a very long time, and we know this pretty well. So I, I kind of expect them to answer but we're just going to run through the brief history of the Old Testament, get to Genesis 12, and then teach the text. Uh, in the beginning, what? In the beginning, God. Right? In the beginning, God. God has always existed. He created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh. He created everything by speaking it into existence because He is God. On the sixth day, He created land animals, but He also created man. And man was different than the rest of His creation. Right? Man was different from the rest of his creation because he had uh, a soul. Right? Man was created in God's image. He has a soul. He has emotions. He has a will. We're not like animals that are instinctual. But more, more, most importantly, man was created to have a relationship with God. Not like the animals who only know him as creator, but an actual personal relationship with the creator of the world. God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them to eat from every tree except for one. Me and Jake were joking about this last night. But he said, you can eat from every tree except one. Guess what they did? They ate from that tree. That's what they did. Right? They sinned. They fell. Okay? Now, a lot of consequences stem from this act. God gave a curse to each party involved. He cursed the man. He said that now that his labor would be hard, his labor would be difficult, right? And then also now he would die from dust you were made to dust you will return, right? The woman, he cursed the woman. He said uh, that now she would have uh, pain in childbirth, Right? Uh, she would have pain in childbirth, and she would desire to have uh, rule over her husband. Right? Uh, but God also cursed the serpent, and this is very, very important. This is in Genesis three fifteen. God cursed the serpent, and He said that uh, the heel 
I'm sorry, that the serpent would strike the heel of the descendant of the woman, but that the descendant of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And that's a very important detail because that's Genesis 3.15. That's the first mention that we see of the gospel. Okay? This is the first glimmer of hope we see, the first foreshadow of Jesus. After this, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. They had two sons named Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel, and this is really one of the first great effects that we see of sin. God gave him another son named Seth. After this, the world just grew more and more evil, so much so that everyone's thoughts all the time were only evil. So God decided to start over, a reboot, if you will, and he decided to wipe out the earth with a flood, but God was gracious, and he decided to save eight people on the ark. God made a covenant, a promise with Noah that he would never flood the earth again, and he gave a sign of his covenant. What is that sign? It's a rainbow, right? After this restart, you would think things would get better, but they don't. And we know that from the Tower of Babel. Sin continued to reign in men's hearts. So much so that they did not scatter and fill the earth like God told them to do, but they gathered in one city. They gathered in Babel. And what did they build? A tower. Build a tower to make a name for themselves. And as a result of that rebellion, God confused their language and scattered them across the earth. And finally, we have something good to talk about. God chose one man. One man to become a nation that he would call his own. And guess who that man was? Abraham. That's where we are this morning. That's where we pick up today. Genesis 12. So let's read the text. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And then we will break it down. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your father and your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the call of Abram, where God lists his promises to him. Like I said, the covenant won't be made official until Genesis 15, which is what Jake read for us. But this is the precursor to that. Here God makes four different promises to Abram. His name has not been changed to Abraham yet. That will happen in chapter 17, but I'll use the names interchangeably. So if I say Abraham, I mean Abram. If I say Abram, I mean Abraham. The way that I thought this would be most helpful for us to study together is if we broke down what these promises, these four different promises, what they meant to Abram at the time, what they meant to Israel as a people, how they point us to the coming Christ, and then what these promises mean for us today. So that is how we are going to break this text down, which brings us to the first point. This is what the promises meant to Abram. The first promise here in verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the what? To the land that I will show you. That is the first promise that God made to Abram, that he would have land. God told Abram to go to a land that I will show you. God didn't specify the land here, but he promised to give him land. Uh, and what that meant for Abram was a, a place to live, a new place to live. In chapter 15, God tells Abram the extent of what his land would be. It would be Canaan, right? He would possess the land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. This promise of the land would have greater implications for Abraham's people, the Israelites, than himself. But Abraham knew that having this land would prove valuable. And it must have took a good amount of faith uh, to go to a land that someone will show you like I said, he didn't tell Abram where he was going, right? He said, go to this land that I will show you. He hasn't shown him the land yet, right? So that must have taken a good amount of faith for Abram to do that. I remember uh, when my sister and I were still living at home, 
We were still living at home with my parents, and our rooms were beside each other. And I just remember uh, sometimes, it, it wasn't like all the time, but just enough to where it would aggravate me. Like I could just hear sometimes in my room, she would just go, more, because she would just yell my name. So I would hear that, and I would literally take as long as I possibly could to get into her room. Like I would do everything I could to, to not get in there. And I would drag my feet and finish what I was doing and whatever, and I, eventually I would go in there. Um, the reason I took so long is because I knew that she wanted something. Right? That's just kind of how it is with Sarah. It's like, you're like, okay, you're not just coming here to chat, right? You're, what do you want? So that's the reason I was trying to take a long time. So I would go in there, and I know what she's going to ask, because we're the same person in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and I've mentioned our shared coke addiction before. Uh, but I go in there, and she says the words that I, I, the, the words that I just hated, dreaded more than any other words in the world. She's like, will you do me a favor? What, what do you think I said? Yeah. What is it? Right? Symptoms don't just say yes to do, to do favors. you got to know what it is first. You're like, you're, you won't even do it until you know what the thing is. Right? So I was like, what is it? What's the favor? Like I said, I knew what was going to happen. Of course I knew the answer. I said, what is it? I was like, will you give me a coat? And that's a meaningless story. But my, my point is that oftentimes we don't even do someone a favor if we don't even know what it is first. We won't even do some of the smallest little tasks. <coughs> God told Abraham, go to the place that I'm going to show you. What place? I'm going to show you. That's kind of tough, right? That took faith for me. He agreed, and eventually he did go to the land that God showed him, and that took a lot of faith for him. It was credited to him as righteousness. That's the first promise. Uh, verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. So the second promise here is, is offspring. The word nation indicates a people with an organized political structure. In other words, uh, God essentially promised Abraham a kingdom. And, and we see this come to fruition later. But the word nation also implies offspring. And so uh, look at Genesis 15, verse 5. Should be just one page over. Genesis 15, verse 5. Uh, this is when their covenant is made official to Jake Red Force. Uh, Abraham was having a vision. Uh, and he brought him, him being Abraham, and he brought Abraham outside and said... Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God said that Abraham would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. I'm not sure if you've ever looked outside at night, but there's a lot of stars in the sky. That promise in and of itself is, is pretty remarkable. It's a pretty big promise made by God to say that someone's going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. But what's extra bold about this promise is that Abraham is advanced in age and he doesn't have any kids. And his wife is barren. His wife is barren, so he hasn't had any kids up to this point. So God promised a man who is advanced in age and who has a barren wife that he's going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. That's a pretty bold <laughs> claim, right? Only God could back that up. Think about what Abraham's reaction must have been. I don't think you really realize how crazy that promise is. But that must have been the craziest thing he'd ever heard in his life. He could have had a reaction of, of excitement, of confusion, of disbelief. Abraham must have seen this as one of the greatest news he could ever hear. He's never been able to have children, but now he's going to have as many descendants as you can look up in the sky and see the stars. 
That's a great, great promise. God took a barren man and a barren woman and made a nation so that everyone, every person born from Isaac on will be a testimony to the goodness, grace, and sovereignty of God. The, the last part of verse 2. Chapter 13. says, And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God promises to bless Abram and to make his name great so that he will be a blessing. Uh, now, I don't have any kids, obviously. Uh, but I do have youth. So that's the closest thing i got right now. And the greatest thing ever, the greatest thing in the world, is when we go on a trip, we go to other places, we go to camp, we go to on a mission trip or something like that. Uh, the greatest thing ever for me to hear personally, like as a youth leader and the other youth leaders will agree with you, the greatest thing to ever hear is somebody comes up to you and they say, Man, your kids are so awesome. Your kids are such a blessing. They've been great. They've been so awesome. That's the greatest thing to hear. You hear that, you're like, oh, yes, this is like, this is it, right? You're like, man, we're doing, we might be doing everything else wrong, but we're doing one thing right at least. So it, it, it builds you up, right? I'm sure it's the same when somebody says something nice about your kids, right? To be a blessing is a great, great feat. And God promises that to Abraham, that he will be a blessing. He will be a blessing himself. Uh, verse 3, the, the, third, um, the third promise here. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. God promised to protect Abraham. The promises protection. God promised to protect Abraham. He basically told him that he had his back. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. I'm with you, right? I have your back. Well, if there's anybody that you want to have your back, I would assume that it would be God. I would hope that it would be God. If there's anybody that you want to have your back. Abraham saw this blessing as protection from the greatest bodyguard one could ever have. Abraham saw this principle worked out in his own life. Melchizedek and Abimelech were blessed for honoring Abram. Blessed. But Hagar was cut off from Abram's family for despising Sarah. So those who blessed him, they got blessed. Those who cursed him were also cursed. And then the last part of verse 3. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Some translations say nations instead of families. So in you, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This must have been a head-scratcher for Abraham. How would all the families of the world be blessed through him? Through himself or through his descendants? Uh, somehow the whole entire world would be blessed. So somehow every family, somehow every nation would be blessed. But this is something that Abraham could not have been sure of. But he had faith in God that he would fulfill his promises. <coughs> And the second one today is what these promises meant to Israel as a people. The first promise is land, right? What did the land mean to the people of Israel? Well, this was the promised land. This was the land that was promised to Abraham. Remember, Abraham, uh, Abraham had Isaac. We'll go through the lineage in a minute. But eventually, the descendants of Abraham uh, became so many that they were enslaved. And after a series of events, right, God brought His chosen people, Abraham's people, out of Egypt. The people of Israel are the people of Abraham, right? So God brought them out of that place. And do you know where they were headed? They were headed to the promised land, right? They were headed to the promised land, the land that was promised to their father, Abraham. They make their way to the promised land, right? 
the land that was promised to their ancestors. To the people of Israel, the promised land was of utmost importance. This was the land of milk and honey. This was like their salvation, right? They're trying to get to the promised land for 40 years. The promised land was of utmost importance to the people of Israel. Uh, the second... The second promise is offspring right? What did this promise mean to the people of Israel? Where Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Esau, Esau had twelve, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob had twelve sons, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So Jacob's twelve sons became known as the tribe, the twelve tribes of Israel. Remember, jo uh, Jacob's son Joseph was the favorite of the family. Just like some of you at uh, Thanksgiving dinner this past week. But Joseph's brothers were jealous, but instead of a passive-aggressive comment at the, the dinner table, they sold him into slavery. Right? So through God's providence, Joseph ends up in a position of power in Egypt. There's a famine in the land. And so Joseph's brothers come to Egypt because Egypt is the only place that has food. Since then, all of Joseph's family, now known as the Israelites, because Jacob's name was changed to Israel, they have stayed in Egypt. But what you see is the Abrahamic covenant coming to fruition while they're in Egypt. The people of Israel are multiplying like crazy. The Israelites lived in Goshen, uh, separate from the Egyptians. Right? And as Patrick Shane used to put it, there were no infertility clinics in Goshen. Everybody was having kids. They were multiplying, right? Why were they multiplying so heavily? Because the Abraham covenant coming to fruition. God fulfilling his promise. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And then through that, we have the Israelites. 600,000 of them. That's a lot. A lot of stars in the sky. Abram would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky, and so the Israelites were multiplying as a result of that promise that God made. Uh, the third is protection, right? So many times God came against those who opposed the nation of Israel. We see that in Egypt as the ten plagues were poured out. The people of Israel eventually did get to the promised land. Soon they wanted a king. God gave them Saul. Saul was not a very good king. Then he gave them David. David was a very good king, right? Why was David winning battle after battle after battle after battle after battle? Why was David the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world? Why did he never lose a battle? Because God was on his side. That's why David won. Because God was on his side. God protecting his people, Israel. God was on their side. This is an after effect of the Abrahamic covenant. The Canaanites who distressed and, and they persecuted Israel are not even a people anymore. They've been completely wiped out. They won all those battles because God protected them because God chose Abram's people to be His own. So, the people of Israel recognized that God's promise to Abraham applied to them as well. They realized they had something on their side that nobody else did. That's God. The one true living God. Got to the point where they realized, oh, our God is better than everybody else's God. That's why we're winning on all these things. It's kind of like the three boys who were sitting there talking about what their fathers did for a living. Uh, the first boy said that his father, he wrote a, a few words on a piece of paper, sent it in the mail. They received $20 for it, and they called it a poem. The second boy, who was not to be outdone, he said that his father wrote a, a couple pages and then sent it into the mail, received $200 for it, and they called it a book. And the third boy was like full of himself at this point. He said, his father wrote several pages of words, read them out on Sunday mornings, called it a sermon, and it took six men to collect all the money. 
these boys are trying to show that their father was the greatest of them all. My dad, my dad's the greatest. My guy's the best. God showed every nation that Israel fought against and Israel themselves that he was the one and only true God. Their God was better than every other God. The Abrahamic covenant coming to fruition, protecting Abraham's offspring. And then the, the last promise is the blessing. The nation of Israel had a relationship with the Creator. But even when they sinned, which they did often, God allowed them to offer sacrifices so that their sin could be atoned for. Genesis uh, 17, 4-7 Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and who? Your offspring. After you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Abraham's people... They're going to be God's people. He will be their God. The focus of the Old Testament narrative is, is on Israel. But throughout its entirety, it's, we see glimpses of other nations, of non-Jews placing their faith in Christ. We see Rahab in Joshua 2. We see it with Ruth. We also see it with the Moabites. The focus is on Israel, but there are glimpses of others outside of this, this nation placing their faith and trust in Christ. And we also see a faithless group of Hebrews, of, of Jews. In fact, many of them traveling towards the promised land, they never entered it. The scriptures say they didn't enter their rest. They didn't trust God. Uh, the third point is how the Abrahamic covenant foretells Christ. When we come to the New Testament, uh, we see things that were only hinted at in the Old Testament be, become clear. As a little baby was born, a message was sent out to the lowly shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. Luke 2, 10 and 11 say this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all people. So we, we finally answer this question. How will through Abraham, who is the father of one nation, right? How will all of the nations of the world be blessed? How will all of the families of the world be blessed? Through this little baby that was born in a manger. That is how. At the proper time, the blessing to all people came in form of the Savior of the world being born in a manger. And this, this is Christmas foretold. This is how all peoples of the world would be blessed through Christ. Abraham trusted God and was credited to him as righteousness, uh, but he isn't how the whole world was blessed. Christ is. If you're sitting here today, you've been blessed. You've been blessed by what Christ has done and despite what you have done. All people, all nations have been blessed. Why? Because of Christ. Because of what Christ has done. 
Because Christ came and lived the perfect life. Perfectly obeying the Father in every way. Perfectly fulfilling every law, but not only did He live the perfect life, He died the death that we all deserve. Romans 3.23, you know this, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. You go to work, you earn your wages, right? We sin, our wages is death. What we earn is death. You and I earn death, but Christ willingly went to the cross, died on the cross, suffering the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us, on you and I. That is how all nations were blessed. That is how we begin our Advent season. And this is how we, we, we kick off our Abrahamic covenant. I'm sorry, how the Abrahamic covenant kicks off our series of Christmas being foretold in the Old Testament. But fourthly, I want to look at how these promises apply to us. The first one is land. That is obsolete for us today. The only land of value for us is in heaven. The second uh, is offspring. And the question comes up, well, who is the offspring of Abraham today? Who are Abraham's descendants? Is it still just ethnic Israel? Well, during the Old Testament times, the people of God were Israelites. But like I said, we saw glimpses of others putting their faith and trust in Christ. Who are the descendants of Abraham today? The descendants of Abraham today are those that have the same faith that he had. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ are Abraham's descendants. It's not just ethnic Jews, but it's all of those who have the same faith that Abraham had. Galatians 3, 8, 9 uh, says, And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man. So who are the ones that are blessed along with Abraham? Those who are of faith. Those with the same faith that Abraham are blessed. <coughs> His descendants. It is not just ethnic Israel. It is not just the Jews. It is those who put their faith and trust in Christ. Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You don't have to be an Israelite. You're already a child of Abraham if you trust Christ. The last is the blessing, but this is what we cover. We are blessed through the person of Christ. Through the Abrahamic covenant, we receive the promise of a blessing that will fall all, all peoples, nations, families. We rejoice in Jesus' birth as the fulfillment of the one through whom God's promise of blessing will come. And through the Abrahamic covenant, we see Christmas foretold. We see Christ. I was, uh, I'm sure you've been presented with this question before. Shane has said it before, and a bunch of people with you, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, but if you got to the gates of heaven and they asked you, why should I let you in? Think about it. What would you say? I listened to several sermons in preparation for this morning. Uh, and one of them that I listened to is Alistair Begg. I just love Alistair Begg. And he's really easy to listen to. He's got a cool accent. Uh, but I was listening to him uh, on, on this text that he was teaching. Uh, and then I clicked off of it and I just watched a video that I, I had seen years ago that he had done. 
that I just, I just loved so, 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 so much. And I thought it was powerful and so I wanted to use it. A lot of people would answer that question in first person, why should I let you in heaven? A lot of people would say, oh, because I believed. Because I did this. Because remember when I did that? Remember when I helped them out? Because I did this. Because I did that. Don't you remember? If we answer that question in the first person, we've already missed it. We've already got it wrong. If we say, because I, because I, because I, no, 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 you've already got the answer wrong. Think about the thief on the cross. Jesus is on the cross with two men, two men on each side, one man on each side of them, and one of the men says, hey, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Think about this guy, right? This guy is on the cross. He's being killed, and he should have been. He was a thief, right? Jesus is up there uh, by, by no fault of his own, right? Uh, but this man, is he's, he's rightly there dying on a cross. And he says, remember me. And Jesus says, truly today you will be with me in paradise. This guy, he's never been to a Bible study. This guy, he's never been baptized. This guy, he's never been in uh, Miss Cindy Kidd's third and fourth grade class, so I got that up on him now already, right? He, 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 he's never uh, learned about church membership. And yet, he made it. Like, he made it. He's in. He got it. Jesus said, I will see you in truth today. I will see you in paradise. Think about that thief once he gets to heaven. The angels must have asked him, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't know. No idea. He's like, no, really? Like, what are you, how, what are you doing? He's like, I, I don't know. He's like, what do you mean you don't know? I'm like, I don't know. And so the other angel says, all right, let me go get my supervisor. So he goes and gets a supervisor, and the supervisor comes. He's like, all right, so I'm going to ask you a few questions, right? Uh, first one, uh, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? And the guy says, I've never heard of it in my entire life. No idea what you're talking about. And then he says, okay, well, let's go right down to the doctrine of Scripture. What about the doctrine of Scripture? He's like, the guy's just looking at him. He's like, I don't understand. And so eventually the guy, he's frustrated. He's like, okay, okay. Well, look, tell me, why are you here? How did you get here? Right? The thief on the cross, he just, he's like, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's why I'm here. That's how I got here. That's the only way. When you're asked that question, I hope you say, because of Him, because He, because He, because He, because He. Because if you start with because I, you're wrong. If, if we start in the first person, we're wrong. If we say because I, because I, because I, we will, we will be incorrect. Our only answer is because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Because he, because of what he has done, because of what he did, because he lives for me, because he died for me, because he took my place. That's our only answer. That is our only answer. I hope that it will be your answer. Hope it would be your answer. But if not, there's still hope. 
There's still time. I don't know how much time, but there is. If you've never trusted Christ, if you're the guy that's saying, or the girl that's saying, because I, because I did this, because I did that, God, remember when I helped this person? Remember when I took that person up on the street? I hope that you can say, because He. If you're that person, you're, 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 you answer that question in the first person. Repent and trust Christ. Turn from your sin. Trust what Christ did on the cross. Trust that He Him living the perfect life, dying on the cross, being raised on the third day. Trust that He did that for you to save you. Only reason any of us are going to be there is because the man on the middle cross said we could come. If you repent and trust Christ today, your answer could go from because I to because. Hope that's your answer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everyone here this morning, Lord. Thank you for just a great morning that we're able to have, Lord. Thank you for the fact that uh, we have people here, Lord, that desire to be here. They bring their kids and they bring, the, uh, they bring their spouses, Lord. And we're so grateful for the fact that we have people that desire to worship you, that want to be in fellowship with one another. place, Lord, where we can meet freely. We take that for granted sometimes, Father. Lord, I hope that everybody in here, by the time that we leave, Father, I pray that we would all be thinking about what our answer would be. And I, I, I hope, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here that would answer with because I, that you would change their hearts, that you would convict them, Lord, and that they would change their mind by the time that they leave, Lord, that they would repent and trust you and so that when they walk out of these doors that they can say, because of He, because of what He has done, because of Him. Lord, help us live this week as, as, we, as if we were to answer that way, Lord. Help us live for You. Not for our own selfish desires, not for what we want to do, but we would live for You. Live to glorify Your name. Lift your name high above all else. Help us to glorify your name this week, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We are so thankful. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.